PFF now has an app. Get access to industry-leading fantasy football advice, PFF's exclusive betting dashboards, the latest premium football analysis all in the palm of your hand. When you sign up, leave us a five-star review with your 2022 Super Bowl prediction and final score, and we'll share the best ones on the show. Will we actually share the best ones on the show? I, uh, I'm just reading the ad here, but that, uh, I guess we will. We'll share the best ones on the show. What is up? Welcome into another episode of Talking Ball. Today we're going to break down Rookie of the Year odds, both sides of the ball, Offensive Rookie of the Year, Defensive Rookie of the Year. Give a little takes on how these guys have played so far, who I see progressing, who I see taking those awards come end of the season. We got PVO O's on tap, takes of the week from you guys. Instead of a rookie stock report this week, since we're focusing on rookie of the year, we're going to do a little draft stock report, talk about some guys rising up draft boards. You know, the way the economy is, I've got to give you some nice stock tips. I'm going to give you some, some draft stock tips here. First round lock segments back, and then we're going to go movie club. It's coming back today. I know we missed last week with Austin Gale on the podcast, but concussion. Going to give a full review pre, uh, of that. Give the movie club for two weeks from now uh, movie, and then do a little would you rather at the end of the show. But Quinn, I got to start with this. I was a little late today. I pride myself on being on time. I'm not like Coughlin time guy, but I hate being late to things. I showed up, we're supposed to be at 745, show up more like 748 because I'm walking out my door this morning, coffee in hand. I take a sip of my coffee and I get a chunk of milk in my mouth. And I just about threw up in my hallway. Um, and I had to your, go back and make one. Your milk or from the store? It was, it was uh, my, I, I made it at home. And it was my milk out of my fridge, poured it, definitely not thinking a bit at all because I had just gotten this stuff. Like it, I looked at the date after I threw it away, went back in, had to make, make myself another cup because, as you know, the coffee machine here in the office can take up to like 15 minutes depending on what. It doesn't even work. We okay, have a, it doesn't just, work enough. Just a little uh, behind the scenes at PFF. We have like a – it's probably like a $5,000 coffee machine. Yes. doesn't work. And it's not – and. You always run the risk of it will not let you make coffee if you have to clean it. And the clean process takes a half hour and it cleans after like every 50 cups. So after every 50 cups, it's just like if you don't want to go through the process of sitting there dealing with it for a half hour, you're not going to drink a coffee. So I was like, OK, I got to go back in to make one. So that's why I was late here. But, dude, the feeling of chunky milk in your mouth. Can't say I've ever had that. Unmistakable. And just the worst. Just... Um, very unpleasant. So that's why I was late. Very unfortunate situation going down here. But let's get to the rookie of the year odds. Um, give you a little offensive rookie of the year breakdown here first. The favorites at the top, we have Drake London, Falcons wide receiver at plus 400. Chris Olave, Saints wide receiver, plus 400. Then we got a pretty big gap, which is interesting to me. We'll get to why in a second. But then you have Kenny Pickett at plus 900. Still a holdover. I don't, I don't know how he's still there. I mean, I get that they think he's going to start at some point. I think a lot of people think he's going to start at some point, the rate the Steelers' offense is going. But he was plus 900 before the season. You know, like, he hasn't moved an inch despite not playing a single game so far. At some point, he's just going to be too far behind the eight ball, even if he comes in and balls out. And it's like, he's going to come into Matt Canada's offense, no matter what he comes into. So that one, to me, is still a sucker bet. Does he really have to be that good, though, if he comes in and starts to win? 
Because it's a quarterback, like it's always a quarterback, right? Like I feel like if he just they comes get, in and throws more touchdowns than interceptions, they're going to be like, "Yep, Kenny Pickett." They get deference. They, they for sure, like going back to 2016 when Zeke Elliott put up, you know, legit yards for a running back as a rookie. Dak put up. Dak was impressive, but not in like the whole. He, he wasn't impressive as far as like he wasn't a top ten quarterback as a rookie. Zeke was a top ten running back as a rookie. They still gave it to Dak that season, so they, they get deference for sure. But to me, it's going to be so far and away. Like these receivers are going to put up a thousand yards. There's going to be a few guys putting up a thousand yards this season. At that point, I don't know how. Like Chris Olave is seventh in the league in receiving yards right now. I, I don't know how at that point you can, if he finishes anywhere close to that, you can give it to a quarterback who's, you know, average. So Kenny Pickett still kicking at plus nine hundred. Garrett Wilson at plus nine hundred. Romeo Dobbs at plus nine hundred. Damian, the Packers wide receiver, Damian Pierce, Texans running back, still a plus 1,000, um, just by a touch of a slow start. Brees Hall has definitely dipped, one of, been, been one of the biggest fallers here on the list. He was plus 1,000 to start the year, all the way down to plus 1,400 now. And then Jahan Dotson also at plus 1,400, everyone else above plus 1,500 on the season. Um, at the top, though, I, I mean, it's hard to go anywhere other than the receivers at this point, right? Like Brees Hall hasn't even gotten 10 carries in a game yet. Like I, I, I don't foresee him. I don't foresee that changing necessarily with Zach Wilson. Now, now Damian Pierce has, he's gotten the opportunity 35, 35 carries the past couple weeks has looked impressive on them despite a couple fumbles this past week against Chicago. But I don't know how with that offensive line, he really overcomes it in a meaningful way. Like he's still kind of behind the eight ball from a production standpoint to get that. So to me, it's going to be one of these wide receivers. And kind of the one where if I had to put my money somewhere, it would be Chris Olave at this point, just because of the opportunity. You, you just skill wise, you know, I've been impressed with all these guys. Like they all, they all bring a different skill set to the table and they all look NFL ready. They all look ready to produce. I don't, I don't foresee a backslide from any of these guys. It's not like, I don't want to hate on Traylon Burks too much, but like through a couple of weeks, Traylon Burks had produced a little. But he had – it was all crossing routes. It, it was all kind of scheme targets still in that offense. I, that's not been the case with London, Wilson, and especially Olave. Those are not scheme targets that he's getting, you know, 50 yards down the field consistently. Um, Garrett Wilson, I think, is getting baked in that they just don't know what it's going to look like once Zach Wilson comes back, right? It, like, he has the same amount of receiving yards and more catches than Drake London is in an offense that's going to pass a lot more than Atlanta's is. And I think that's kind of like the elephant in the room with Drake London. Is they've, he's been on the field for 78 passing snaps through three games. You know, Falcons are a run-heavy team. Um, Chris Olave's been on the field for 112. Garrett Wilson, 108. Like, he's getting a lot more opportunity. Jahan Dotson, 141. You know, like, those guys are getting way more opportunities to produce as receivers than Drake London is, even if Drake London's, like, the only one among that bunch that's, like, kind of like the undisputed number one on his team right now. Um so, to me, though, I still go back to a lot because of this. You got Jameis Winston heaving the ball. Rec- I mean, like, he's back to old Jameis. He doesn't have Sean Payton there giving him check down screens 10 times a game. Um, and so he's, you know, back to his Jameis ways. And you got two slow wide receivers there across from a lot of it. You, you got Michael Thomas, who doesn't have a deep catch all season, uh, despite being back. Um, and Jarvis Landry, who's, you know, was infamously a 4-7 guy coming out of LSU. And yeah, he has a couple deep catches there, but it's the deep targets in that offense 
or going to Chris Olave. And you can't take away, you can't reel in Jameis and say, you know, stop, stop throwing the ball so wildly down the football field. 10 deep targets array for Chris Olave. Four deep receptions. 10 deep targets, I believe, leads the NFL at the moment. That's, his, he has the second highest average depth of target behind only Devontae Parker, 19.3 yards. So he's, he's going to get the opportunities to produce and get chunk plays. And yeah, he doesn't have a touchdown yet, but that's where I'd put my money at the moment. And now some of that hinges on Jameis' health. He's obviously been banged up throughout the season. And obviously some of that hinges on Zach Wilson. If he explodes coming back in year two, Garrett Wilson might be your best bet. But I'm thinking Olave. What don't if Andy Dalton explodes? Mm. He's the Saints backup. I think Jameis mispracticed yesterday too. That'd be a fireball. That would be like this. Uh, it would be like this red rhino that I have here. The smelling salt that murdered me prior to the show. I was literally my nose is still running from taking that. That was not a smart decision on my part. Um, but yeah, I, I do think uh, these receivers have exceeded my expectations. I'll say. I, I thought we'd see some slow starts. Some kind of, you know, besides Olave, I, I thought Olave was NFL ready. So when like he wasn't, you know, week one hitting the ground, I was like, oh yeah, I, th- I expected him to be the guy to produce year one. We've seen it the past couple weeks, two hundred thirty-seven yards past two weeks. I, I think he's ready to rip. Um, all right, junior twenty-seven yards. Excuse me. On uh, to the defensive side of the football, though. The odds as it stands right now, Aiden Hutchinson. Detroit Lions, number two overall pick, plus 250, runaway favorite. Um, Devin Lloyd, plus 500. George Karloftis, plus 900. Trayvon Walker, plus 1,100. Kayvon Thibodeau, plus 1,400. I don't know how that's still the case. Um, Ahmad Gardner, plus 1,400 too. T- to me, from a, te- from a performance on the field, football perspective, there are two guys that stick out like sore thumbs in this group. It's Devin Lloyd and Sauce Gardner. They have been legitimately, you know, we just talked about like the Dak versus Zeke Elliott thing. Like they, they've been top 10 to 20 players to their respective position. They have been guys who in the whole of the NFL are respected or should be respected to that level at their respective positions. Now, Trayvon Walker's, you know, Trayvon Walker's been very solid, very good run defender out the gate does a lot for them in terms of their scheme and the stunts that they run and being able to close and get home quickly and, you know, attack as the, you know, initial man on a stunt with some ferocity and free guys up. He's a godsend for that defensive scheme, but I still don't see him like producing at a high level. Aiden Hutchinson kind of lucked into three sacks, but he has not been that level of consistency as a pass rusher. I, I think he's flashed more than a number of guys on this list probably more than everyone but like Carl Loftus but I don't foresee him being you know three sacks in three games he's not keeping that up they would floor him if he keeps it up so to me I'm going to bank on the talent for rookie of the year and not the so I would say lucky statistical production at this point for Hutchinson or just like fluky like that's not just going to be repeatable so to me the Lloyd's Lloyd's the pick at plus 500 Lloyd or Sauce now, Sauce, the trouble with Sauce is I'm not sure how many, one, targets he's going to get because of his play style, and two picks. Like, it's still a stat-driven award. So, three pass breakups, but not a pick yet for Sauce Gardner. He's not the kind of corner that's going to be racking up picks. He's not Trayvon Diggs taking those chances. He's just very sound, and his best reps, 
you don't throw the football this way. So that's not going to show up on a stat sheet, and that's not – I mean, it show up a stat sheet at PFF, but it's not going to show up on a stat sheet for voters. So I see why he's plus 1,400 at this point. To me, if you're going anywhere other than Devin Lloyd, I don't think any of these guys. I would even go – like if I got going Devin Lloyd, I'd go more long shot like Quay Walker, who's above plus 1,500 at the moment. So that's how I'd handicap to you, really. Aiden Hutchinson, I mean, obviously I believe in the talent, and the name is there, the brand name. He's obviously – we we tried we helped that Austin Gale, former PFF employee, did his best to make him a household name with the podcast. But I think I still need Devin Lloyd because the Jags are going to get talked about a lot this year with their emergence. But that's how I see Drew. Okay, all right, let's get to PVOs. Positive vibes only. We had we had a couple takes this week about the quarterback position that we just had to talk about. These are too good not to talk about. In fact. First one comes from Charles James II. If you'll recall him, he was a star of Hard Knocks way back when he was with the Texans. It was a corner, and they gave him like a run in the preseason. I don't know if you remember that one, but that was way back when. But he came with this after Monday Night Football, or it was during Monday Night Football. He said, Daniel Jones is just as good as Josh Allen. He just don't have an offensive line. Good night. And he just left on that. Mike dropped it. Just as good. Man, I, something about the quarterback position just makes people lose their minds. Like you can, I don't even know where to start with this one. There's like I do many. feel like they're like I have seen people comp Daniel Jones to Josh Allen. I, I'm not saying it's right, but I think like people are just like, oh, big white guy that can run a little bit. Yeah, Josh Allen. That's so like okay. One maybe that's where he was they, going. They, like Josh Allen's still a better runner. You know, he's – Dale Jones, good. Athletic. You know, he had what? What was – he had the fastest speed of any quarterback last year on that play he fell, or was that two years ago? Um, like, he, he is mobile, but he also has nowhere near the sort of reactive athleticism, shall we say, of a Josh Allen that is, hey, the pocket's collapsing. Let me, like, get out of it in a semi-athletic way he's when he's in space he can move athletically but like he's lost trying to escape tight pockets and then he's like he's not the guy to make guys miss the way Allen does I mean Allen's a terror in the open field you just don't want to see that 240 pounder bearing down on you I don't feel think people feel similarly about Daniel Jones um and then an arm strength perspective I mean we, we can just like go down the line if we want to but that's the other one where it's like they are not close they're not close. Daniel Jones' arm is not close to Josh Allen's arm. Any, any comparison you want to make about is not close. So, Jesus. Here, let's just get to the next take because there's, it gets to the same realm. This one comes from John Middlecoff, who's, um, I believe, does, oh, I guess he does podcast now. He used to do radio, I think, in the Bay Area. Was a former NFL scout for the Eagles, in fact. And I don't know if he's trolling with this take because, you know, former Eagle Scout talking about the Cowboys, but he says this. Dak has obviously accomplished way more. But if you argue there's a talent gap between the two players, meaning him and Cooper Rush, you might want to put down the sauce. (sighs) Like, okay. The first thing, not even the take itself, but he's going so far to say is that if you don't agree with this 
incredibly hot take. You're the one that's crazy. You're the one who needs to put down the sauce if you don't see that Cooper Rush is the exact same talent level as Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott, the 240-pound um, starting quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys who's been a dual threat through his entire career, can actually run. Cooper Rush ran a 4.93 coming out of Central Michigan. Now, maybe arm strength perspective, sure. But the, there's just so much more to like the quarterback than so much more to a talent at the quarterback position than just like, can they throw hard? Ah, that one. Again, I don't even know where to start with these. I, I don't feel like breaking it down point by point, but to call to call us crazy for not agreeing with that just makes them even more crazier. It's a good way to argue though, right? Like it's yeah. uh like it's you just, if you say anything with enough conviction and you just try you make other people just believe it. Yeah. You know. Even, you can you can tell them to do anything. Yeah. If yeah. you don't think that if my coach didn't hate me back in high school, I would have been in the league or put down the sauce. If you don't think that you don't know ball. All right, let's get to the takes of the week. We had we had one submission make the cut this week. And I like this submission a lot because I overlooked this. Let's get you got it queued up? Yep, let's hit it. Hey Mike, I know you guys already talked about the OSU versus Alabama wide receiver room debate, but I think I'd raise the argument that the USC twenty nineteen wide receiver core is better than both of them. You had Michael Pittman Jr., Amon Ross St. Brown, Drake London, even Tyler Vaughn was a good college wide receiver. Throw in Bayless Jones if you want as well. I think that group might have more success in the NFL and was arguably a better college group. I like that take. Now, I will say it's like they've turned out well. At the time, it, it wasn't like Drake London was a true freshman. He, he was not considered in that realm of player. And I guess I did some of that with Jackson Smith and Jigba on OSU for 2020. But you know, for like Alabama 2019, those guys were all like there. I didn't throw in LSU's 2019 in that discussion, which I think they deserve to, which like how much wide receiver talent was there back in 2019. And it was also concentrated. But yeah, Drake Lennon, 567 yards, a true freshman. Amon Ross St. Brown was great that year. It's a sophomore. It's a big fan of him. Uh, but Tyler Vaughn's like still outsnapped some of those guys, which maybe speaks to why a USC wasn't getting the job done with Clay Helton. But I like the take. I like the call out. I'll go 82.0 on that take because it's true. They belong in that discussion. They they firmly do, especially with what they've done in the NFL, right? Drake London looks on pace to be, you know, true number one type of wide receiver. Amon Ra, St. Brown, the same thing. Michael Pittman, the same thing. Three number one wide receivers in one school in one year. That's putting you in the discussion. Now, would I take any of those guys over – Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson in 2019 LSU. No, I don't think so. Would I take any of those guys over Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith? Well, definitely not Jalen Waddle. Devontae Smith's kind of a conversation, but probably not. Would I take them over Olave Wilson? Mm, we're debating now. That's, that's close. We're getting close now. So, yeah, I, I like the take. I like the take. It was from Jack Smith, by the way. Jack Smith. Shout, Shout out. out Jack Smith. Make sure to get those takes in. Speak pipe. 
in the link. We've had some people come up with takes on ask for mailbag questions in the SpeakPipe link. I will just write those. I will answer those still on the Monday mailbags. Shout out. Make sure you get your mailbags in for Monday. I will answer those still, but just uh, I'm going to write them out and not have those come in audio form. All right. Let's get to the little draft stock report because we don't talk draft enough on the show. And I'm the lead draft analyst here. So I want to talk some draft. I want to talk some guys who I've seen of late that have impressed me that were maybe considered like prospects, but I think are on the rise this upcoming season and could be, I don't say making their way in the first round conversation, but just guys you need to know at this point in the process. And the first one is start with the quarterback position, start an offense here. I got three guys on offense, three guys in defense. First one's Hendon Hooker. Tennessee quarterback. We'll get to some of the cons here later. But man, I could not have been more impressed with this game against Florida this past weekend. Went back then and watched, you know, the first three games. And it's Ball State, it's Akron, Pittsburgh, which he was tremendous against Pittsburgh too. It's like it's not, maybe not the best competition in the world, but the Florida game, he's so you know, a lot of guys can run when given a runway. I kind of said that about you know, Desmond Ritter coming out. I was like, he can run in the open field. Kind of what I just said about Daniel Jones. He can run the open field, but when things are clogged, things are kind of scummy, things are, you know, pockets collapsing, or you're actually utilizing him as a runner and he has to evade maybe a couple guys, you don't want him doing that. I don't feel, I think Hendon Hooker can. I think he's dynamic as hell. 786 rushing yards last year in his first year at Tennessee, 227 already on the season, went for 126 against Florida. He's a real threat to break the pocket, do whatever, like, you know, actually be an add-on in the run game. And I like his release. got a real tight release. I think he's improved. So, like, you buy into the improvement as a passer. His four years as a starter. So he started off at Virginia Tech. Two years started there. Two years Tennessee. 63.6, or excuse me, 74.6 grades first year as a starter. 74.8 second year. 84.4 first year here at Tennessee. 90.5 now this past year. Every single year, you've seen improvement from him, and he's kind of just dialed. You know, not eight touchdowns, zero picks, 71.7 completion percentage. Now, to the cons. He will be 25 years old when he's drafted. Him and Jaron Hall are going to be interesting case studies because they'll both be the BYU quarterback, Jaron Hall. They'll both be 25 years old when they're drafted, which, if they're drafted, I, I think they'll both get drafted. But 25 years old quarterback position, it's like you better look fucking good. You, you better be... You better do the little things well because that's a that's Lamar Jackson his age. You know, like they, you you're a seasoned vet in the NFL some sometimes at 24 years old, 25 years old. You better, you know, people get given up on in the NFL at that age. So, we'll be interesting to see where he lands. I, I don't think at that age you can really sneak yourself into the first round. And with the other knock on him being, this offense is a joke. Josh Heupel's offense brought over from UCF, the the go ball, line your wide receivers up as far out as possible so that the DBs out there can't add on the run game that you kind of have to choose. Am I going to play those guys in the pass or am I going to play them uh, numbers in the box in the run game? And it's just pick a side of the field that you think based on the coverage and it's a one-man or one- or two-man route combination. So it's, it's not NFL stuff a lot of the times. And so 25 years old, not doing NFL stuff, you're like, ah. We'll see. So I, I, 
Very curious to see where Hendon Hooker does end up from a draft perspective. He's going to be an interesting eval. Next guy that I want to talk about on the offensive side of the ball, Rasheed Rice, SMU wide receiver. I know he was Dane Brugler's number one senior wide receiver heading into this year. Dane Brugler of the Athletic, who will be on next week's episode. Um, uh, he's been he's exceeded even that expectation, in my opinion. I I, I was a fan of like size, yak ability at six three two oh six. I think he's been even more dynamic this year. Already has five hundred sixty three yards through four weeks, thirty four catches, four touchdowns, and he's six three two oh six. You know, he may not be a take the top off long speed kind of guy, but I love his possession traits. Six catches on a, six out of eleven in contested catches so far this season. He's just a volume type of wide receiver. You know, any any route on the tree, I think he can run, and the flexibility, the the yards after contact. Uh, I'm I'm a fan. Maybe not this wide receiver class to me is kind of weak, honestly. Like I've said that before. Like a lot of people have Jackson Smith and Jigba as number one, and I said I don't think he's touching Olave or Garrett Wilson as prospects yet, and he's obviously been hurt to start the year. But she writes probably day two wide receiver at this point. I'd put him in day two. Next guy on this list, and I am now currently kicking myself because I told when I was preparing this guy, whose name I won't say just yet, I said I was going to look up the pronunciation of his name prior to the show. I told you guys I was late, running late. I did not look up the pronunciation of this guy prior to the show. So bear with me. Olu Muiwa Fashinu. And I just butchered that. I know. Apologies to him. Penn State left tackle. Should we just call him like Big O? Big O. Or something? Big O Fashel. God, that sounded so white. But his last name's Fashanu. I don't know why I just did that. Kill me. All right. But he's left tackle for Penn State. Took over for Rasheed Walker. Seventh round pick for the Green Bay Packers. He has looked tremendous in pass protection for not having, you know, 85 snaps prior to this year, cleanup duty, whatever, for not being a starter prior to this year as a redshirt now sophomore, I believe. He's looked great in pass, bro. Hasn't allowed a sack, hasn't allowed a hit, five pressures on 156 pass blocking snaps. And, and going back and watching those five pressures, like none of them are like ugly, which is always a good, like, good sign for an offensive tackle. But 6'6, 320. Not super nimble, not the most athletically gifted guy, but he's very balanced. I love, I'll say this every, I'll say this 20 times now until the draft, love balance for offensive linemen. It's huge at the position because you're in contact with a defender, a guy trying to take you off balance consistently. When you're engaged with the defensive lineman, they are trying to get you to fall flat in your face. And so I like guys that don't, you know, think about how many times you see the elite offensive lineman waving at air, falling to the ground. Doesn't happen. So I love Fosh, big O's, big O's balance. And he's been one of the biggest riders in the offensive line class. Seen him highlighted elsewhere. I wouldn't put him in the, shit. There's not a lot of tackles I put in the first round conversation right now, but probably going to end up somewhere. We're going to do a draft board update in a couple weeks here at the midseason mark, about six weeks in, and he will be somewhere, he'll be in the top 100, probably somewhere in the top 75 at this point. So big fan of what I've seen from him on tape. All right, let's flip over to the defense side of the ball, where first guy I want to highlight is Kobe Turner, defensive tackle 
from Wake Forest of all places. And you don't know anything about Kobe Turner. He transferred from James Madison, four years of James Madison, transfers to Wake Forest, and now he is the highest graded defensive tackle in all of college football this season. 6'3", 290, every single game he has brought it. Graded out, we graded Richmond, and you graded out elite for the last three seasons for Richmond before coming over, which, you know, you always worry, competition level, whatever, but this guy's 6'3", 290, and he is violent, 6'3", 290. Undersized, probably going to be like a three-tech only type of guy. I don't know if he's super athletic enough to really sell me on, you know, first-round defensive tackle at 290, but, man, if I can get this guy somewhere late day two, I'll be really happy with this pick because he, he is tone setter at that's despite not being, you know, tone setter size. I, I'm a big fan of his game. I'm not sure necessarily how old he is. Cause I, again, this is his fifth year. So could be on the older side for a prospect, but definitely caught my eye here early on out the gate, 11 pressures already. Um, 13 stops, 12 run stops. Hasn't missed a tackle yet. Always love DTs that don't miss tackles. Again, speaks to balance. I love balance. All right, next guy up, linebacker. We're going one to each level, both sides of the ball. Drew Sanders, Arkansas linebacker. I actually just saw. So he's spent two years at Alabama, transfers to Arkansas. And now he's one of the tone setters for that great Arkansas defense. 6'5", 232. He's kind of that body type that everyone wants at linebacker. Everyone, The Quay Walker body type, the Tremaine Edmonds body type, the kind of body type that gets overdrafted just because it doesn't show up what that guy does on the stat sheet. You know, the difference between the, the windows that a guy like Drew Sanders, like again, Quay Walker, Tremaine Edmonds, guys who are six foot five with damn near seven foot wingspans. Those guys shut down passing lanes that just doesn't show up in the stat sheet. Like they're, they're in the middle of a defense. Quarterbacks looking at a crosser coming behind them and they're going to hesitate more so than if Malcolm Rodriguez is in that window. Malcolm Rodriguez can be playing that ball perfectly, running underneath it. They might throw that ball as opposed to Drew Sanders being there just with his hands up in the window just because of how much ground that guy can cover. So Sanders has been impressed with him. Obviously, he didn't play much at Alabama, only 284 snaps back in 2020 at Alabama and mostly as like an edge rusher at his size. And he's now an off-ball linebacker, and I think that's something that he's going to obviously need to continue to improve his instincts at, but you see the natural talent when he's just in space, his ability to take on blocks already has as a blitzer has 18 pressures on 64 blitzing snaps, six sacks. I mean, he is lightning rod coming downhill and has, has a great understanding of how to rush the passer. So maybe he does end up on the edge ultimately, but we'll need to gain some mass to do so. I, I did see that Mel Kuyper at him as top 20 player on his board already. So definitely one of the biggest risers this draft season. Last guy I want to highlight here, secondary. Going to go to Illinois, of all places, who did produce Nate Hobbs. So maybe they got a, maybe they got a little track record starting here of corners. But De- Devon Witherspoon has been – this guy's been awesome this year. 27 targets through four games. Nine catches allowed. 119 yards. Already seven pass breakups. Leads the country – one pick, six foot, 180, long arms. The guy is physical as can be. Hasn't missed a tackle on 14 attempts this season. He is the, he is 
that like press outside physical corner that's just going to disrupt stuff before it even starts. And then I've been really impressed. You know, seven pass breakups. Really impressed with the way he attacks the football this year. He's challenging, like football is at the catch point, like a wide receiver. Like he's going for it, even if he hasn't hauled in more than one. He is. You just see the ability to see the ball correctly, which a lot of cornerbacks don't. You know that's why they play corner. As J.T. O'Sullivan says, if they could catch, they'd be on the other side of the ball. But I think Devin Witherspoon has some real ball skills. Probably we'll need to see more from him, but he, he is a multi-year starter right at this point. Starting, He's been playing ever since snaps ever since 2019, which you would hope to see at Illinois. But I, I think he could wait, work his way into day two. Probably still a day three guy at this point, but definitely made himself draftable here as a senior. All right, those are your stock report. Buy stock in those guys at this point because they're going up. Continue with the draft theme. Let's go to first-round locks, which it's kind of gotten tough. We've already locked in Jalen Carter, the Georgia defensive tackle, Willie Anderson, the Alabama edge, and Peter Skaronsky, the Northwestern offense tackle. Those are three. Honestly, in my head, I was going through, and there are probably only three others that I would really put pen in and not be worried about looking dumb eight months from now. Three others at this point. Excuse me, three others after the guy I'm going to say. So four others. But the next guy on this list is C.J. Stroud, Ohio State quarterback. There's a toss-up between him and Bryce Young, who was going to lock in first. But I think Stroud's... I don't say it. I think Stroud's outplayed him this year. I think Stroud's been more consistent than Bryce Young has been this year. And and that takes more of like the high-end NFL boxes that you want to see. 6'3", 215. Bryce Young's not even, you know, barely scraping six foot, not even 200 pounds. So you're going to see more. You're just going to see evaluators. I think he's probably the favorite right now. I think betting-wise, he is the favorite to go number one overall. So... Do you think Justin Fields, like, just not being good is going to hurt him at all? Because, I mean, like, at this point, it looks like there, like, really and truly might be something to the whole, like, Ohio State, Ohio State QBs just can't play. Because, like, Justin Fields was, I don't want to say his can't miss as they come, mm. but, like, I mean, we were very high on him. No, he was, so, you know yeah, what I mean? Like, I just, do, do you think that bias will play? I mean, yeah. obviously, he'll still go in the first round, but, like, do you think that bias will play into his evaluation at all? So I've said before, Stroud is a plays the quarterback position so differently than Fields did. They're in the same offense. They're playing it differently. Stroud's time to throw for his career is over a half second shorter than Justin Fields. That's again, that's playing the quarterback position differently. I think Fields was physically more gifted, but everyone, you know, Everyone feels the book on fields was he's going to need to develop. Like there's, he's going, coming from that offense, the way he played was going to need to change. I, I don't know if that's, I, I don't think that's the case for Stroud. He, again, operates so much better within structure than fields ever did. He scrambled twice all year, 116 dropbacks. He has broken the pocket, scrambled twice. That's Justin Fields last year. Let me, let me look it up real quick. But Justin Fields, la- like, I'm not sure there was a game where Justin Fields, that was the case for. Justin Fields, 42 times in 2019, 33 times this last year, on only 281 dropbacks. So as a rate perspective, scrambles about six times more often than, five or six times more often than, more frequently 
than CJ Stroud. So, yeah, Stroud's done enough, though. He'll go somewhere in the first round, especially with quarterback desperation. He'll go somewhere in the first round. No House Advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today. Playing pick'em contests versus other people for a shot at winning $250,000 plus in cash. Download the app, choose a contest, select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb the leaderboard for your shot to win big money every day. You can also test your skills versus the house and 20x your entry if you hit all your picks. Bet on up to five player props, over-unders, or individual player matchups across every major sports league, including NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, MMA, and NASCAR. Sign up now with promo code BALL at nohouseadvantage.com or download the app on the App Store to get a first deposit match up to $25. Make sure to check out No House Advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefined because it is not just how you play, but also where you play. You won't want to miss out on this. All right, let's get to the movie club, though. We watched Concussion over the past few weeks, which I apologize for. It was a downer. <laughs> it was not. Uh, I mean, like, they kind of, like, spun it at the end, obviously. Like, but the start of it was, it was, it was pretty tough to watch, you, you know, the way they portrayed. They, they jump right in, yeah. Yeah. The way they portrayed uh, Mike Webster, the former Steelers center, who – you know, obviously went, went through head CTE, went through serious mental illness towards the end of his uh, life was they didn't pull punches with that, but I will say once Alec Baldwin showed up on screen, I audibly laughed just because of, that was my first take. I didn't know he was in the movie. Yeah. Uh, A movie about like traumatic injuries and Alec Baldwin, like, and like, to be fair, he's going to have to deal with that for the rest of his career or like if he even has a career after that, you know yeah. what I mean? Every time he, but like any movie you see Alec Baldwin in, you're going to be like, Oh shit, there he is. You know yeah. what I mean? But like, it's, it's even funnier when he's like, one. yeah, yeah. Brain injuries. Yes. Head injuries. The irony, not lost. Um, but that was, that was tough for him. I, I will say it also kind of cracked me up when they, when he, there's like a montage of, the doctor, gosh, I'm blanking on whatever those name was. Um, he flips on the TV and they just have a montage of ESPN playing jacked up. <laughs> and it was it, it, like, it made me nostalgic. I was like, damn, I kind of miss jacked up. Like, do you think that you would be allowed to do that today? Like, do you think ESPN yeah. would be allowed to run that today? Well, they do don't, you think there'd be backlash. I mean, there'd be backlash. Oh yeah. That's why they stopped in the first place, right? Because there was backlash. Um, was there? I, I yeah. really and truly don't remember. That's that. why they. That's why they got. That's rid how much of it. I don't watch ESPN these yeah. days. But I think someone could do it. You know, I, I think someone. I think there's still a market for it. Because, like we people know at this point, you you know it's not good, but it's like people still watch car crashes. You know, people still watch NASCAR and watch and see a car crash and is like, ooh, like that's jacked up, right? It's everyone knows that's bad. Everyone knows it's not good for the guy that got jacked up, but you still watch it and you're like, okay, that was kind of, I, I, I shouldn't even say this, but like every Sunday before the game started, like I don't tune into the pregame shows. Uh, me and Austin would just sit on the couch and we would throw NFL's biggest hits on the TV, on YouTube and just be like, God damn, those are big hits. 
just like you sit there and it gets kind of like it's kind of hype to watch football. You could put it on like HBO or something. Yeah. Where you got to like pay. That's that's like kind of one of my billion dollar ideas is like you just you ha- you let HBO do sports and then you just put like uh like for like college basketball you just put Bob Knight in the booth and just not ESPN Bob Knight just let him say whatever the fuck he wants. <laughs> that would be good. That would be very entertaining. It might not be oh, great. God. There'd be yeah. some bad shit that got said, but in that same light, you could throw jacked up on there and people would be like, yeah, yeah, I'll watch it. Just like show show football how it was in like the early 2000s like when they had rush limbaugh on espn and they had that remember it was going around the other day the to intro to monday night football where he's in the locker room desperate with housewives desperate yeah. housewives i think that was the first season of desperate housewives yeah. and that was when abc was like really trying to pimp it like hey watch our new show if someone just took it back to that level of sports where it was just very obviously degrading towards women and very like hyper masculine but they're like if someone did it there would be a market for it i it was basically that. the plot of any given sunday yeah like kind of yeah. a little bit which that's another movie we should review that's a good one. Ooh, we should I, I will drop the next one here in a second i think it's gonna be maybe it's one i haven't seen but just wanted to say they also shoehorned a love story into this which I hate when movies do that, right? Like that's got to be for Hollywood, I hate right? When they do that, because like the the thing with these movies, and, and the same thing with like American Underdog, is like a lot of like my takeaways and like a lot of the reviews are just going to be more of like the cinema stuff because you can't it's you can't really argue with the plot because like a lot of this shit happened. Yes, right. Like yeah, if, yeah. if we reviewed Pearl Harbor, you can't be like, oh, I don't like how the Japanese sunk the USS Arizona. It's like, well. Nobody did, but yeah. like that shit fucking happened. You know what I mean? Like that actually, that's a real event. Yeah. So like, I, it's yeah. tough to poke holes in it, you know? Yeah. We'll but, get off, we'll get off the real, the based on true story movies here in a second. But it's just like, it, it reminded me of uh, Top Gun Maverick. You seen Top Gun Maverick? Great movie. How there's just like a love story that didn't make sense to the movie. I, I, the whole time I'm like, who even is this chick? Cause I thought, I know I didn't watch the first one in a while. I was like, was she in the first one? I know the answer to that. Okay. So like in the first one and we're just totally off the rails now cause yeah. we're talking about yeah. a different movie. But, uh, in the first one, like when they, um, like in the opening scene when he like helps, uh, the guy that freaks out, I forget his call sign and he lands okay. and they go yeah. back in the Admiral's office and he's like chewing him out. He's like, you should have landed your plane. Like you fuck around too much. And he says something about like, you were like banging the admiral's daughter, and Goose goes like Penny Benjamin. Oh, that's Penny Benjamin. So she kind of fits in, but she, yeah, she wasn't in the first movie. At oh, all. yeah. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Did not know I'm that. A, I'm a big Top Gun stands. Yeah. Yeah. It's my favorite movie. I mean, we can get off the rails here. This is movie club. We this is for cinephiles only. Uh, so, next one. Announce the next movie. Week five. Two weeks from now. You got two weeks to watch all the right moves. Speaking of Top Gun Maverick, a little Tom Cruise movie there i have not seen this one either not seen it i'm excited to it's it's been one that i've always wanted to see because it's one that people bring up like you know when you're debating actors who's the best actor who has the biggest like hit reel going through i have like tom cruise all the right movies it's about football and i've never seen it so we're gonna watch a movie about football tom cruise and see if he can actually look like he's semi-capable of playing the game of football all right Last segment here before we do, actually, I forgot to tease this off top, interview with Chris Collinsworth, owner of PFF, Sunday Night Football announcer, former Bengals wide receiver, great. Got him ahead to talk a little bit about announcing. Got him on to talk a little bit about 
wide receivers in the NFL today. Got him on to talk a little about quarterbacks in the NFL today. Maybe a little bit of Bengals as well. So make sure to check that out at the end. But ending here with a little would you rather. So you want to break it off with yours first because you're going to be a little Thursday night football preview with yours. Yep. So my yeah, all of mine are going to be through Thursday night football forward facing. Um, both rocking the Bengals gear, wide out. I think the Bengals are going to win. It is a whiteout. I, oh fuck! I didn't realize. Yeah, that. I don't have any. It's white the bangles. white helmet game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I didn't realize it was like we got a white shirt on underneath. Oh, that get this! Color. I saw um, yesterday. I go to breakfast. I see uh, Duke Tobin and some other Bengals people that I did not recognize. But they're talking about building a fence around the um, practice fields. You heard it here first. I thought I was going to hear up. some cool. Is it up? Yeah, the okay. bubble is up. It's, I mean, I don't know if it's like move-in ready, but yeah. like the structure yeah. in the field is like, they I mean, were, it's pretty damn close. I thought I was going to get some like nice nuggets because I was at the table like right next to them. Nice nuggets about the Bengals and whatever. No, they were just talked about the practice facilities and new gym equipment that they're buying. So I was like, God damn it. Maybe talk a little bit about prospects or something, but nope. Um, but all right, yeah, go, go ahead. Yeah, What's sorry, this? first one. Uh, so a lot of good matchups. You know, obviously the big one is people are going to be talking about like, uh, Burrow versus Tua, because like that was the debate in the draft for a while. But I, personally, I think the best matchup is going to be Trey Hendrickson versus Teron Armstead. So who, who do I got? Who do you got? Yeah, Ooh. who do you got? Who do you think wins that matchup? That one's tough. Hendrickson's been a fucking tear, man. I mean, he's looked good, good for like two years now. Well, like, but I'm saying, yeah, this year. This, this, I, like, I believe, and I should have came prepared and looked this up. But I believe he's the highest graded edge defender in the NFL right now. He, per he tore George Fant a new one last week. I think it was I believe it was George Fant. I uh, man, this one's tough. I, I I will say if like I had to choose one for my team, I'd probably go Hendrickson because Armstead's just the least reliable tackle in terms of just health. Like it seems every year it's like and he's like Trent Williams levels of he's gonna miss four games a year. But I think in this matchup, Tron Armstead, he's only allowed four pressures all season. Not a sack, not a hit. I, he's still there as a pass protector to where I think he's the kind of guy that's going to shut down Trey Hendrickson. Not shut down, but that Trey Hendrickson doesn't really want to see because he's a hell of an athlete. Like, Tron Armstead is super athletic. So I, I'm going to go Tron Armstead. Hate to do it to you, but that's... No, that's a good answer. It's Ron Armstead. Also, uh, third highest pass rushing grade. He's okay. not the highest grade. Third highest. All right. I looked it up. Here we go. I got a would you rather. I got the first threefold would you rather that we've done so far. But in their prime, at their peak, which running back would you want? Because these, to me, are the three most like physically imposing running backs in the NFL today. Prime Nick Chubb, prime Derrick Henry, or prime Jonathan Taylor? To be honest with you, I think this is kind of easy. I think it's Derrick Henry. Oh. Like, he just, I mean, in college, he won a Heisman. Yeah. Nobody could stop him. Uh, like, t- teams, I mean, I, I don't know what the exact number is this year. And, like, I, I wouldn't even say it's prime Derrick Henry this year. But, like, teams just stack the box. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. Like, he's still just running through them. I, I mean, I know, like, like Chubbs, Chubb and Taylor maybe probably a little – shiftier but like i don't know man derrick henry's just been getting done get getting it yeah. done for, for so, so long. long and every every year people are like is this gonna be the year the wheels fall off is this gonna be the year the wheels fall off and it just like 
just has an app. They don't fall. Yeah. That's and and again, like teams like know, I mean, this year too, like they, the Titans, they fucking stink. Sorry, <laughs> Titans fans. And people are stacking the box and he's still just like, yeah, he still just keeps trucking. His, I don't know how he does it. But. His high end plays are just, are the best of all those guys, in my opinion, because it looks so cool, right? Because he is six, three, 247 with long arms. And so like the, the 90 yard touchdown run against the Jags is probably one of the best runs. Yes. Like NFL ever. History. Yeah. Just, in football history. Just seeing him like accelerate the way, the way he gets up to speed at that size. is just, it's different. It's impressive to watch, but I lean Nick Chubb though. Nick Chubb has never had a season. That was going to be my second one. He's never had a season in his career. He's been in the NFL five years now. Never had a season where he's averaged less than five yards a carry. Not one. Every single year. He's the best running back in the NFL right now. Right now. I I agree. And and he has been for the last probably two, three years. And he has such an odd shuffle way of running that he, like, when when he gets hit, it doesn't even break his strides. He will eat a leg, you know, an attempted tackle easier than any running back in the league today. It just guys bounce off him. And I mean, you see why. Like, you see those lifting numbers. You see his like 600 pound squat, and you're just like, this guy is an absolute animal. He also, anytime you bring up Nick Chubb, the high school pictures. If you've never seen the pictures of him in high school, search Nick Chubb High School track. It's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. He looks like a 30-year-old man racing against children back in high school. And I still say that he was better freshman year at Georgia than he even is right now. That freshman year at Georgia was special before he blew out his knee. Blew out his knee as freshman at Georgia after averaging 7.1 per carry. Had 1,549 yards as a true freshman in the SEC with 14 touchdowns. He was an animal but alas yeah i lean nick chubb but it's, it's tight those guys are all give some love to jonathan taylor he's probably got the best like speed of the bunch when he gets in the open field but you're you're dealing with some some prime physical freaks there yeah we like glossed over jonathan taylor like, <laughs> he's just like some fucking schmuck he's very, he's awesome don't, don't get me wrong yeah he's almost like it's gonna sound dumb. He, he's a freak in his own right. Yeah. Like oh, he, yeah. his numbers, he's, his like testing numbers were off the fucking charts. It's just when he you, you compare him to like Derrick Henry and Nick Chubb, and you see their because Derrick Henry's got the same sort of like workout videos and stuff that Nick Chubb has. Where mm-hmm. you watch and you're just like, gee, like n- normal people, even like elite athletes, can't do the shit that they're doing. Yeah, I, I was going to say that Jonathan Taylor almost runs too track style-y. Uh, he runs too normal. He has too normal of a gait to really be elite like Henry and Chuck. Or not, not really be elite, but like I, the guys who run weird in the NFL are the guys that are the hardest to tackle, hardest to read as route runners. It's just something about it that is why I lean Chubb and Henry. All right, what's your next one? All right, um, so again, matchup base, Thursday Night Football. Uh, Dolphins wide receivers, they're, I mean – I know we debated it on the first episode, Bengals versus Dolphins wide receivers, but like Dolphins wide receivers are probably the best in the NFL right now. Bengals secondary, top five coverage unit per PFF. Mm-hmm. Who wins? Don't do which, that to which unit would you rather? I'll say have? this tonight. Tonight, who who wins the matchup tonight? I'll say this. I think the way the Bengals secondary is built, 
they are tailor-made to slow down this Dolphins offense more than anyone they face so far. Yep. Because that of how was my argument for my own now my own question. Now it's like they've been trouncing everyone. So slowing them down a little is like you know you're, they're still going to put up points. But I do think because of how they are so good at dictating matchups, the Dolphins' offense, you have to have no liabilities. Or if you have a liability, be willing to protect them, which you know the Bengals do with Eli Apple. So when you're a complete secondary like that, when you have speed at all three levels, or all two levels, I, I do think they're capable. No one's – I don't like no one in a matchup, though, against these Dolphins wide receivers. You know, there, there's not a – you couldn't build a secondary – for out of all pros that I would like one-on-one against these Dolphins wide receivers. That's just, that's how good they are. So my next one, unit. Game of the weekend, maybe. The up-and-coming game of the weekend. Jags versus Eagles. Are you taking, everyone's talking about two and Hurts, but I think we debated that one already. Are you taking Jags defense or Philly's defense right now? Which one? So again, this one like Jags a lot ten points last two weeks against the Colts. I know, I know. Chargers, They're playing saying. really well, but like Philly's secondary is good. Yeah, like Slay. D- Darius Slay is is like a top end corner. You got James Bradbury, CJ Gardner Johnson, Hassan Reddick. Like that's just a. And I mean, I know I probably sound like a company man, but like you build your defense from the back to front, right? Like if you have a good secondary, any given week, like you're probably going to be pretty set, right? Like that's Mm going to, that's going to be, that's going to benefit you more throughout the season. And then like, they still get it done up front. Like I know Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox are like older, but I mean, they're still effective players. Jordan Davis is a monster on the inside. Like they just, I I think they just have a more sound defense. And I think like for right now, I would go with them. Now the Jags three years from now, two years from now, Jags D is going to be sick. Yeah, Jags. They, even, they got, they got way year. more upside. Like, if it's just, like, in a nutshell, like, just general, which defense are you taking? Mm-hmm. I'm taking the Jags because they got more upside. But I'm saying, like, right now today, I would be riding with Philly. And they're just – they're hot. They're yeah. playing well. They're the hottest team in the NFL right now. Even if – even next year, like, if the Jags didn't kind of cake their pants in free agency and just had a little bit to add, you know, maybe a nice – number one type of corner they could have a good draft they could be i mean they like i know they're they're playing well and like they could they could fuck around and make the playoffs but like even if they finish like middle of the pack you're Mm -hmm. still getting you know potentially a top 15 ish player yeah i i I agree i I think the eagles you know if i'm gonna break down unit by unit i'll take the eagles d-line over the jags but that one's close jags d-line is tremendous they're one of the most improved units And, and again younger yeah Higher upside, yeah. You know, Brandon yeah. Graham and Fletcher Cox, their best days are behind him, but they're still like they're, they're still, still getting effective exactly. players. So, and then linebackers, I'm giving the edge to the Jaguars. Pretty heavy edge there. Demoloid's awesome, awesome, awesome player. And then secondary, we're going back to the Eagles. So, two out of three units, probably two more valuable units. Yeah, we'll go Eagles there. But I'm not. We got to talk about the Jags defense because that's a big part of the reason they're winning games too. It's not just Trevor Lawrence, not just his emergence. They have been legit on that side of the football. All right, what's your last random one here? I don't have a random one. No random one? Okay. I don't. No, I said it uh, when Austin was on here. Like These are the hardest ones to come up with. They are. And I, too, was unprepared. Morning, Here's so. my random one. All right, hit me. Would you rather be for, let's say, you know, your entire, for, for a generation of your life, let's say 20 years, you are almost never in playoff contention, 
not a good team, pretty hapless, but you win a Super Bowl. So, like, say the Browns win a Super Bowl this year. Or I guess say the Bengals won a Super Bowl last year. No, the Bengals have had good years over your lifetime. But, like, let's say the Browns. Browns win a Super Bowl. Would you rather be a fan of that team or a team that's competitive every year, in the mix, but just never got over the hump and won a Super Bowl? I guess Super Bowl. You think so? I don't love. I, I don't love that answer. I just like I've lived the other one, and I know like Cincy yeah. sports are bad, and everybody like makes fun of them and stuff uh-huh. like that. But like, I mean, the Bengals were like like when I, when we were in college, like the Bengals were going to the playoffs every year. They weren't winning. Mm-hmm. The Reds, like there was a couple years where they had maybe the best team in the MLB, and like they didn't win a playoff series. But like I I saw that, and like that was cool. I know what that's like. But that fucking sucks to not get over the hump and win a championship. Like even the Bengals last year, like they were just they were so close. I just want to. I've never seen a championship from my pro sports teams. I I gotta yeah. It's this that, is this is classic yeah. like grass is greener on the other side uh-huh. situation, right? I've never seen that. So you, I got to go over to the other side and see what see I will, what that's all about. I will say it's awesome for you know seven months in 2011. You could not tell me shit. That was. I wore Packers gear daily in the offseason. Did not, did not matter. Um, it was great. But I will say, like, every loss sucks, though. You know, I, I, every single loss is brutal. I, I could not imagine, you know, just being a Browns fan. And it would just – the apathy would set in. And apathy is, like, almost worse than taking each loss hard. Like, not even caring anymore about your team has to suck, too. Like, I, when you're that bad. I, that I don't watch Reds baseball games anymore. Yeah, see, like which that. Which sucks. Which is not fun. Like, that, you lose your fandom when your team's that bad. So, I, I think I have to, I think I'd have to lean contention every year. I think I'd have no, to. No, I, I mean, I, I, like I said, it's, it's a sound argument. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm getting wide-eyed. Yeah. But, no, like, I, I do know what you mean. And, and, like, the season's long, too. So, like, you know, you're talking about an off season of like you said just like an off season of riding high but then versus you know yeah, every se- year 17 weeks you're down yeah yep. like every loss sucks yep. every, every loss sucks so even NFL. yeah i guess even from like a time perspective right like you can be happier for longer mm-hmm. if you're just in contention every year yeah yeah I that's true all right that's it for the would you rather let's get now to interview with chris collinsworth former Bengals wide receiver ahead of thursday night football all right, joined now by owner of PFF, legend, Chris Collinsworth. Thanks so much for joining the show, Chris. What's happening? How's, how's the season been for you so far? I know it's a grind. I'm busy, yeah, yeah. it is. It's, I, don't, I don't know if people would understand, you know, sort of what we go through, but uh, and it's not like I'm not freaking digging ditches or anything, so <laughs> I don't want to go crazy. But, um, you know, it, it it's seven days a week. Yeah. I mean, it is for you too, right? Yeah. You're watching the draft tape. You're watching all the stuff. Um, but it's 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 engaging. It's fun. But for me, it really is. Um, you know, I've had two different jobs. I've been in the studio, which is you need to know something about 32 teams, mm-hmm. and then I've done games, which is. I know a lot about two teams and I'm a mile deep into it and I'm in such minutia. And then somebody asked me something about, you know, the, the New York jets. And I'm like, I don't know. I know I watched watched. Monday night a little bit, you know, but that's kind of what you're doing, but you're kind of, uh, I I like both. Um, but doing the games is a lot harder 
than doing the, the studio stuff. What's a week like for you, a week in life, Chris Collinsworth, during the season, prepping for a game? What is like Monday through Sunday? Walk us through how that goes. So on Monday, um, I'm coming either flying home or I had flown home the night before. But on Monday, I watch kind of the TV copies of the next two teams <laughs> that we're going to do. Um, we come into PFF and, and um, our guys give us a little a little debrief, yeah, yeah. you know. So uh, Ben and Seth are phenomenal. They're phenomenal. And so they kind of give you that jump start on the week. So they've been looking at this game from the week before. I come in, I'm completely brain dead. Herb Street comes in, he's completely brain dead. And, and you just kind of listen. But it, it gets you interested again in the, mm -hmm. next, in the next game. Um, so I do that and I watch the television tapes and, and sometimes I'll watch the little shortcut things of more than those games. Um, and then Tuesday, the real sort of grind starts and I go through the two prior games for these two teams, like in minute detail. I mean, I'm watching, I'm spending a couple of minutes literally on every play, trying to watch every player and, you know, at least have something. Mm -hmm. I'm taking my own notes because generally then by the time I get back to Sunday, I've forgotten what I've watched on Tuesday, yeah. you know, so, um, so I do that for one team on Tuesday. I'm all in on one team on Tuesday. I'm all in for the other team on Wednesday. Thursday is generally the the interview day. So um, we'll have do all the Bucks interviews this Thursday. Ordinarily that's Friday, but because of the hurricane, you know, we're going to do it on Thursday. But I talk to the general managers. I talk to the coaches, the the, the offensive and defensive coordinators on each team. Uh, the general managers on each team and whoever else wants to get it out of the way fly to the game site on friday we'll get there go watch them practice typically the home team practice which is always great because you kind of see who's healthy who's not who's in who's mm -hmm. out um and then we interview that team afterwards and then saturday is kind of just this grand you can't imagine how much crap gets thrown at us by Friday night. So we get the Elias notes, uh, Kenny Hurt uh, does all that stuff. And uh, I don't even know if we're doing Elias, it's just Kenny Hurt now. All the PFF data comes mm -hmm. in that our guys have put together. And, and so then you just try to, and then you've got all these meeting notes. And I literally, over the years, have been able to train myself. Like I did typing class, but I was the worst typist in the entire class. But I can take notes now on my computer. I mean, I can mm -hmm. type fast enough to be able to do that. But this year I've made a change for the first time ever. I quit typing my own notes. I've got somebody else, Andy Freeland, who works okay. with me that'll type them. And now I'm just sitting back and having a conversation with these guys. And it's fantastic. Okay. It's yeah. like enjoyable. Or before it was like painful. Um, but Matt Eberflus, who we did the Colts, uh, did the Bears the other day, and um, and he's and I said I hear that you don't take notes into into your meeting room, and he goes uh, he goes no he goes I expect I want to look them right in your eye in their eyes I want them to look me right in my eyes when I'm talking so I'm like I'm looking down at my computer going oh <laughs> close my computer and I look at them and then we just started talking and I was thinking this interview is going way better mm -hmm. with not taking notes. Not taking notes. So I just started doing it and it's just been so much more fun and engaging. And, and so that, a good lesson learned after 30 years of doing this, I finally figured that out. 
I, I never took notes in college and worked out well for yeah, me. Yeah, look at you. If you're a genius, <laughs> right. you can remember everything. Um, and then, so we do that all day Saturday and just kind of compile it, put it together. And then Sunday morning, I wake up in one final jam session of memorization of the names and numbers. Uh, go over all my notes with Andy one more time, and then we're off to the stadium about 3 o'clock for a kickoff game. Do you get to interview Brady this week? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you know where it's gonna where you're going to be? Like, do they have any idea of where with the hurricane coming this week? Um, we don't. Apparently, if you when you play in London, you give up. You have a contractual right to make your stadium available okay. for emergency oh, stuff. So. so it would either be New Orleans or Minnesota. Minnesota yeah. The problem is the Bucks don't want to play in New Orleans because everybody in that division <laughs> is going to cheer against yes, them, them, right? So now if it gets moved, I think it would be moved Minnesota. to Minnesota. And I think that uh, Tampa is the, like the emergency area is the stadium mm -hmm. itself. So, and there was a college game on Saturday. I think they moved the college game. So it's, it's really been a mess. But what people don't think about is our television trucks they're sitting in Kansas City right now. Yeah. They're stuck. Yeah. So now they have to be told soon, where are we going, mm -hmm. right? Because it's about a three-day setup for them. Interesting. So what are you going to ask Brady? Have you decided to get like, a guy that big? Do you, pl do you plan way in advance? Um, or do you just go by shooting no. from the hip? No, I, I used to, but I don't. Um, you know, the last time we were in there was when all the personal stuff was happening with him. Mm -hmm. He'd taken time off and, you know, we were doing opening day and he didn't go to Miami and, you know, 11 days off and all that. So, you know, we're tippy-toeing around this a little bit, but the guy's mm -hmm. lost a lot of weight too. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I, I try to just be human sometimes, you know, I like, dude, you all right? Yeah. And, you know, he was like, yeah, you know, I definitely lost some weight. I didn't really plan it. But it, you can't, you can't go, all right, you know, full Oprah on him, you know, and <laughs> go into it. Because then you're not getting anything with the football game, yeah. you know. Um, but I, I, I generally like those guys. Mm -hmm. I, you know, they're usually pretty good to us. And we have a decent conversation. And so. they give us a little insight as to, as to what's going on without crossing some line. And. And in return, I think we're obligated to protect the football side of what they're saying to us. Like, I think there are announcers who go to practice. I've heard stories of this who go to practice and then come out in the game and go, oh, look for this and look, you know, and and all of a sudden, Romo? well, I, I, you know, I don't know, but I, I, I've had coaches yeah. say to me, like, you're not going to be one of those yeah. guys, right? And and so I've even heard that on a couple of occasions with different guys that they'll run like fake formations and plays that don't exist that are like bizarre. Yeah, to try to. And then they'll get in this the yeah. same formation and run a different play, you know? So yeah. it's to try to. There's gamesmanship everywhere within the NFL. Oh, that's incredible. What's what's the most contentious pre-game interview that you've had over the years? Oh, we've had a bunch. It's, you know, people be mad about something you say and yeah. um you know, Belichick gets mad at us sometimes. And, you know, sometimes it's not even our fault. Like, we, we flexed into a game on when they were on the West Coast. So he didn't want to be West Coast Sunday night, fly back across the country, you know. Mm -hmm. So he was like, wouldn't talk to us. I'm like, 
You think they asked us what we thought about where we we're going to flex into? No, but it's your network. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, I've had some, I've had guys physically bump into me, try and intimidate me. I've had, um, you know, guys yelling. I've had, you know, shoot, I've had everything. I, and I, I'm, I'm a, I'm on I try to consider myself honest now. Uh-huh. I used to be a little crazy. I mean, you know, I was coming out of doing talk radio and I would just I Shoot did not you're care. Just, you're ready to let it fly. I mean, I was trying to feed four kids. I was like and, and back in the day, it was really much more of you had to really criticize or the mm-hmm. people with critics just took you apart, you know, and it was like that. I think COVID and everything that's going on, social media has kind of changed the world a little bit. Like we get enough of the people Man. ripping each other. And I like people, I think almost want to escape now. They just like leave politics out of it. Leave all the garbage. Let me just enjoy the game. Mm-hmm. Give me three the hours per spin. week without all the stuff, you know? So it's always evolving. So the elephant in the room this season on Sunday football is obviously no more Al Michaels. What's it been like? sitting in your chair or just sitting at home on a Thursday night watching him call a game with someone else. Bittersweet, what are the feelings like when you see him? What did I tell him? I sent him a text that night. I said, it, it's it's like watching my wife on a date on national television. <laughs> <laughs> and he sent back something. What did he send back? It was funnier than that. Um, oh, God, I, I, I probably can't say it anyway. You always do it anyway. <laughs> But he's, uh, you know, he's a great friend. They're in town right now with the, you know, the Thursday night game. We went to dinner last night. We're going to dinner again tonight. So, you know, he's just a great friend. And and my wife, Holly, and Linda Michaels were really good friends. So they really enjoyed going on the road with us. And now Holly's like, you go out, but, you know, there's nobody for me to hang out with all day. And it's just, it's not as much fun. So, all right, let's get to some actual football here. You obviously former wide receiver. What wide receiver in the league right now would you say is the most similar skill set to yourself? (laughs) Oh, geez. Uh, That's a really good question. Um, God, I almost have to start thinking about the guys around the NFL right now. Let me let me just take a look at the teams, and I'll come up with something. I'm probably more like a tight end now, you know, with the way. But I, I really wish I had a chance. Like a Dan Arnold. Yeah, Dan Arnold. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, I really wish I had a chance to play the game the way that these guys are playing it now. That was going to be my follow-up. Like, how different is – the position being played compared to what it was like back then and not just like not just gloves not just things like that but actual schematically how how different what's the biggest difference would you say yeah I, you know I was, I was trying to think Cortland Sutton in the game yeah. we just did is probably a little bit because I was the X receiver I was the deep guy mm-hmm. you know I've made jokes about not being able to run but I was pretty fast yeah. you know I won the 100 yard dash in Florida so I was pretty fast uh, and but the probably the two biggest things I think are the gloves for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have ne- I, I never in my entire career saw somebody make a an overhand catch below the waist, you know, and now you see it yeah. every day. I mean, it's it was literally impossible. <clears throat> the The second biggest thing was um, the balls used to have to come right out of the box. Mm-hmm. They were slippery Slip. as hell. I'm just telling, I was like, this is the dumbest thing. They want us to go score a bunch of points. And so now they can rub down the balls and yeah. they can do all that stuff. Um, probably the 
third thing is the, all the wide receiver quick passes, just, you know, just throw it out there. So the catches now people are getting 140 catches. I used to go to the pro bowl with 60 something, mm-hmm. but we averaged Way 16 deeper. yards a catch yeah. and they're averaging nine or mm-hmm. whatever now. Um, and then the deep ball was nobody would throw you a deep ball unless you were a yard behind everybody. Well, now that doesn't even apply. I mean, they just throw it up and give those guys a chance to out jump them or they do the back shoulder. I think the back shoulder is probably, if I could wish for one thing, is that I can't believe we didn't think of that. Yeah. Like just intentionally, because it's the greatest thing off of the deep ball to have that guy have to play you almost behind you to keep that, that back shoulder from getting in there. Um, so yeah, I, those are those are kind of the biggies. I feel like an underrated. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Or this is a take that I've had for a while that I, no one really talks about. But I feel like the shoulder pad evolution has helped the passing game as well. Like shoulder pads used to be egregiously large comparatively to what they are today. And like I feel like that limited mobility of passers, wide receivers, just like the passing game in general, that no one really talks about. Well, I mean, plus there was you know you had a choice of one helmet i mean they just Mm -hmm. handed you a helmet they gave you a choice of one shoulder pads yeah these guys give away more stuff on a weekly basis than we used to get sometimes you know for the to get ready for the game um yeah but i i i I, I think it was just a different game it Mm -hmm. was it was a different game i'll say one thing i think the wide receivers block better today than they we blocked i mean the rams and that whole Idea. Yeah, were you ever down, reduced split, getting asked to block a yeah, linebacker? Yeah, you know? the first preseason game I ever played, remember a guy named Hugh Green? He was a, like a the top, Eagles? Uh, like a top no. two or three um, draft pick in like 81. Go back and look up this okay. monster. He's out of pit. I'm thinking somewhere else. And, I, and so, we, so we went through the draft process together, but he was like the second or third pick. And so they put me in a tight formation, like on – like a tight end mm-hmm. down on the line of scrimmage. And I just had to like get in his way. This dude, like, <laughs> so he goes, literally, I line up there and he goes, Chris, he goes, what are you doing here? And I go, I have no idea, dude. And I come out and try and block him. And he like picked me up and like body slammed me face first down into the ground. And then he like picked me up. I'm like, did you have to do that? I go, I'm still worried about making the team. And I, but he didn't put me down there anymore. Oh man. So, all right, let's get some quarterbacks though, because there's kind of like a revolution or like an evolution at the position going on. A lot of names right now uh, that have been like the hottest names in the NFL that probably weren't what we expected. So I want your take. Are you buying or selling the hot starts from these guys? First off, Tua, talking about Loa, the guy will be here on Thursday night. I think there's two ways to play this game now. You can, um, the hardest thing is to find somebody who knows how to separate. I mean, Travis Kelsey, I think, is going to play a long time because he knows how to, se- knows. to separate. Cooper Cup, he's not a speedster. He knows how to separate and, mm-hmm. and get open. Uh, but when you get guys like Tyreek and Waddle and those guys that know how to run four three and know how to separate i I always thought that was tyreek's biggest gift was that he can get away from people too you know he built like a running back and he could break tackles and he could do things um but yeah that that whole generation of speed and separation 
And I, when I watch these guys now, I like we were just cavemen. I mean, I ran a dig route the same exact way. I ran an out route the same exact way. So I'm sure every defender had a, a total take on if he grows inside and then does this little, we used to do this deep over. It was, you know, 12 yards, five yards. And like I could have told him what, you know, and so I, I think that the creativity at the receiver position and the ability to get separation without speed is something that's that's smarter today than than what it was when we played too. Mm -hmm. So I, I honestly think with Tua, it's it's not going to matter. Like he may not be an elite quarterback, but with those two, it's not going to matter. Thanks for it, finishing the sentence. I forgot the yeah. question. I just Basically, rambling off with on Tua, it's tangent. Not, yeah. It's not going to be like we might not know. Although I do think like the poise and what like he's not throwing to the other team nearly as much as he was previously. So that's that's always a good start. What about Jalen Hurts buying or selling the hot start from Jalen Hurts? I don't think I was buying at the beginning of the year. I, I just couldn't get the the Tampa playoff game out I know, of my head. And I just kept thinking, is there ever going to be a day that Jalen Hurts is going to be able to go up against Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or Matthew Stafford, any of these guys, and everything's on the line, and he's just got to come back from 10 points down and da-da-da. But they did the same thing Miami did. I mean, this is really the year of, of – the receiver, right? Mm -hmm. With Smith and with AJ Brown. And, and they've shown that, man, you get them some guys that can go up and get it. Might not you know, I, and, and if I remember correctly, maybe I'm wrong, but I, if I remember him coming out of college, wasn't he like our number one or two most accurate quarterback and yes. coming out of college? Yeah, back in Oklahoma, yeah. Yeah, but not necessarily at Alabama. No, not, yeah. But the guy, when I watched him at Alabama, I was thinking, this guy can't throw at all. Now he was a power lifter. He's a good runner and mm -hmm. all those sorts of things. Uh, but I didn't think he could throw it at all. And now I got to say he looks pretty good. And those receivers are, they look great to me. Goddard, all those guys. Yeah. All right. Last one. Cooper Rush or Dak Prescott. Oh, I, I'm not ready <laughs> to go the, there yet. Uh, yeah. Have you seen like the conversations around that, that people are saying, you know, they play harder for Cooper Rush. Cooper Rush more talented. Cooper like the, the takes that have been flying around the Cowboys I, right I, now. Oh, you know what's interesting, and I won't say who told me all this stuff, but apparently they've been trying to replace Cooper Rush every single year, <laughs> every year, and and the coaches push back on it because I mean they look at him and they go. He's not talented enough to be the Dallas Cowboys backup quarterback. And the coaches are like, maybe not. But every time we put this guy in the game, whether it's preseason or regular season yeah. in Minnesota, we did that game last year, he's winning. Yeah. So he's 3-0 and now and as a starter in the NFL or whatever. And I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of a trust-my-eyes sort of guy. It's like, what are the results? I, I'm – yeah, I want to see the talent, but you know from doing the draft all those years, it's like there's a whole bunch of guys that, you know, that can really run, that are really quick, that don't play football with a darn. And there's a whole bunch of guys that don't run really quickly and, and don't know how to do things. But Cooper Cup won the yeah. Triple Crown last year. Yeah. So, you know, and I think that's the wonderful – gray area like there are people who literally who come off of wall street and think they can build an algorithm 
that's going to make better draft picks. I'm like, dude, you better have made a whole bunch of stupid ones in your lifetime. I mean, I can't it's tell tough. you how it's... many of them I've done where I go, I kn- you're talking about pounding the table. I knew that guy was going to be great. Can't play where the darn. Yeah. So it makes draft great. I mean, it is just so such an inexact science that two guys can have the same profile, exact same whatever. One succeeds in the NFL, one does. I mean, just look at Jalen Hurts compared to Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield. You know, outplaying both of them right now when, yeah, Hurts was good at Oklahoma. He wasn't that, he wasn't near what those guys were. You know, those guys were Heisman winners. And Jalen Hurts goes to the NFL now, and all of a sudden it's, he's outplaying both those guys. So it's, How about Rashawn Gary? I mean, I went from, like, they drafted him? Like, what? Even though he had the unbelievable numbers, but he just never seemed to make a play. And now they put him, kicked him out to the edge instead of the four technique or whatever the hell he was playing there in Michigan. And, you know, just kept hammering. He kept getting better. He kept, and now the raw talent. We're seeing that with the quarterbacks a little bit more, too. You know, with, um, with, um, you know, we got all the Justin and, yeah. and you know, Zach and you know, those guys are, you know, some of the big six, five guys that weren't that accurate, you know, Josh Allen coming out of college and um, that all of a sudden they learned, they learned mm-hmm. how to play. And, and then there's a lot of that in the NFL too, that people go, look, there's only a, a few great coaches out there. Mm-hmm. Give us the talent, and we'll coach them into being great players, and, and that happens. Yeah. All right. Well, Chris, thank you so much for the time. Enjoy Thursday Night Football. I know we will be doing as well. That's it, man. Huh? That's all. You're done. That's yeah. that's good. This is fun. Yeah.